This week's Bible reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to chapter 3, verses 18. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one, we are an aroma that brings death, to the other, an aroma that brings life, and who is equal to such a task. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the other, in Christ we speak with, before God with sincerity, as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendations to you or from you? You yourself are our letter written on our hearts, knowing and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with the ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter cues, but the spirit gives life. Now, it is, uh, if the ministry that brought days, which was engraved in letters on stone, come with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory. Transitory, though it was, we are not the ministry of the Spirit even more glorious. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory come with glory, how much greater is the glory that which lasts. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ it is taken away. Even to the day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever any, anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the word, the Lord's glory, are being transformed into its image with everlasting glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, my name's Ollie, and it's great to be with you today. Well, it's time for our sermon now, but as we begin, we're going to come before God and pray. So please pray with me. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible. And we thank you for the way it reveals who you are and what you've done. We ask that you might use it now to shape us into the image of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Have you ever felt like God could never use someone like you? Have you ever felt like you're not worthy of being used by God? Uh, I feel this way uh, fairly often. I always think to myself, who am I that God could use someone like me? I always wish I was better at teaching, better at welcoming, better at loving, better at serving. And so I keep thinking to myself, I'm not worthy of being used by God. I particularly remember feeling like this though when I was a younger man. I was around 21 or so at the time and I was leading my church's youth group. And for quite a number of weeks consecutively, the Bible study part of our youth group just felt like it went really badly. It felt like it didn't work how I wanted it to. It didn't teach what I wanted it to. And I remember feeling like I just wasn't up to the task. I remember feeling, how could God use someone like me? And I wonder if you've ever felt like that. I wonder if you've ever felt useless to God. I wonder if you've ever felt like God couldn't use you. Maybe it was a time you tried to share the gospel with a friend and you just couldn't find the words to say it. You felt like you made a mess of it and you went away from the conversation feeling like they were probably more confused now than they were before the conversation started. And so you were left feeling like God could never use someone like me. Or maybe it was a time at work, one of your co-workers was pushing you on the gospel and you were trying to present a defense, but you just couldn't find the words to show just how good the gospel is. And so you didn't feel like you defended it well and you were left feeling like, how could God ever use someone like me? Or maybe you've never even got to that point. Maybe you feel like you're too shy, you're too quiet, you're too introverted. Maybe you feel like you're not good enough with your words, you're not charismatic enough, and you're scared that you'll just make a mess of things. And so instead, you leave it for others, you leave it for those who God could use. I wonder if you've ever felt like that, like God could never use someone like you. Well, if that's you, then be encouraged. Because what we are told by God in his word today is for all of us who feel unworthy to teach, to preach, to share the hope that we have in Christ with others. So far in 2 Corinthians, Paul's outlined uh, some of the difficulties he's faced in ministry. He's talked about his hardships in Asia. He's talked about the, um, the criticisms of his ministry in Corinth. He's talked about how he's struggled to settle down to preach in Troas. And so we could be left feeling like ministry is such a hard slog and it would be easy for Paul to feel discouraged and feel like he's not up to the task, like God could never use someone like him. But God reminds him and he reminds us that we don't need to feel unworthy. Why? Because God uses us to spread the gospel. God enables us to proclaim the gospel and God shows his glory in the gospel. And it's an incredibly comforting message for all of us who feel like we're not worthy, like we're not up to the task. And for those of us who are visiting and still exploring Christianity, then I welcome along. It's great to have you with us today. I hope that as you watch and you listen in, you'll see this wonderful truth that God uses all of his people. And if you become a Christian, then God will use you as well. Because God uses us to spread the gospel. 
the picture we're given to help understand how this is the case is of a victorious, triumphant Roman procession. The official term for these were pompa triumphalis, and what they were was a parade given to successful generals. When they'd won a great battle, they'd come in in a parade into the city, and they'd come in with soldiers and with slaves and with dancing and with music and with incense, and it's a great celebration, all to declare their victory. And Paul tells us that that's what God is like. God is like a conquering, victorious king coming into his city with a great parade to declare his victory. But did you notice the amazing thing about who's in that parade? We are. God includes us in it. Did you see what part we play? Have a look at verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. See, what would happen with these processions was that our slaves would be in them, and as the slaves walked along, they would uh, spread incense around. In a sense, they're declaring the victory of the uh, conquering general. And what Paul says is that's what we're like. We're the slaves coming along in that procession, declaring God's victory through the use of incense. How incredible is that, that God includes us in it, that God uses us to spread the good news of his victory. And now these uh, incense bearers, did you notice as these incense bearers, did you know what kinds of smells we bear? Have a look at verses 15 and 16. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? We're both the stench of death and the fragrance of life. Now, I'm sure we hear that one about the life and we're quite pleased by that. Sounds like quite a compliment to be called the fragrance of life. But on the other hand, we hear the comment about where the stench of death and it sounds quite, quite an insult. I don't know if anyone's ever told you, you smell like death. And so we might be a bit hesitant to be called that and we might be wondering, what's going on? What does Paul mean? Is he telling us we need to have a shower? Well, what he's saying is to those who are the enemies of God, to those who aren't happy with God's victory, we're the stench of death. We're the proclamation of their impending doom and destruction. The Pompa Triumphalis was terrible news for those who'd been conquered. It meant that their friends and their family were either dead or captured and taken off into slavery. It meant their nation was defeated. It meant their whole way of life was dead to them. And for many of them, it did mean physical death. And so as the incense bearers are going along and the smell is wafting out, it's a terrible smell of destruction and death. And that's what we're like for those who are opposed to God. In the same way, those who are opposed to God see us, they smell us, and they hear that message that God has won and they have lost. And now, destruction and doom and death is coming for them. See, God uses us to spread this message of judgment, the judgment of the gospel. And in that sense, we're the stench of death. But of course, God also uses us as the fragrance of life. He uses us to declare his victory and that all who side with him 
now have life. Because of his victory, because of his victory through Jesus on the cross, any who trust in him, who side with him, have eternal life. And God uses us to declare that to all people. And it's a wonderful privilege to be used by God to spread the gospel. How incredible that the victorious king includes us in his parade and he includes us in the spreading of that good news of his victory. When we're with our workmates and we tell them about our church and what we learned on Sunday, God's at work using us, either as the stench of death or the fragrance of life. When we invite our friends at school along to Yoshi, God's at work using us, either as the stench of death or the fragrance of life. When we share the link to our church service on Sunday on Facebook, God's at work using us, either as the fragrance of life or the stench of death. See, in so many ways, both big and little, God uses us to proclaim the gospel. It's such an honour to be included in the the ultimate king's pompa triumphalis, to be included in the greatest victory march ever. What an honour. And God wants us to be encouraged by that. He wants us to be encouraged by the fact he uses us. And it is encouraging, but we also need to be careful because there's two potential dangers we might fall into from that. We might either think too highly of ourselves or we might think too lowly of ourselves. We might hear that God uses us and think too highly of ourselves. We might think he uses us because we're so charismatic, because we're so good with words, because we're so clever. Or we might hear that God uses people, but we might think very lowly of ourselves. We might think, sure, he uses other people, but he could never use someone like me. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough to be used by God. And see, both are mistakes. And the solution to both of those is to remember that God enables us to proclaim the gospel. Uh, Those in Paul's time were leading towards the first danger. They thought very highly of themselves. They'd always talk up how good they are, how competent and capable they are. They even had these letters of recommendation that they'd show people and say, look at this letter, it shows how good I am. But Paul realises that God is the one that enables us to spread the gospel. And so he won't be drawn into this ridiculous behaviour. He won't commend himself. He won't talk himself up. He won't produce a letter to show how good he is. In fact, I don't know if you noticed that there, but he says in one sense he does have a kind of letter, a kind of letter to show how God has been at work through him. And did you notice who and what the letter is? Well, it's the Corinthians themselves. Have a look at verses 2 and 3. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. See, the Corinthians themselves are the letter that prove God has been at work through Paul. Their letters written not with ink, but with the spirit, not with ink which fades, but with the Holy Spirit who brings life. Written not on tablets of stone like the law, but written on hearts of flesh. The Corinthians are evidence that God has been at work through Paul. But not because of Paul's competency. 
not because of Paul's charisma or clarity with words. It's never that. It's God who enables him and who enables us to proclaim the gospel. Did you see that in verses 4 to 6? Have a look at verses 4 to 6. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. See, it's God who makes us competent. It's God who enables us to proclaim the gospel. See, without God, we'd never be able to do it. It's all up to God. And if that's the case, then we can never be inadequate. We can never be not good enough. We can never be unworthy of being used by God. Because it's not about us. It's not about our way with words. It's not about our charming personality or our quick wit. It's not about us. It's about God. It's all down to God. It's all down to God's kindness. God's the one who enables us to proclaim the gospel. And so uh, take heart. God will enable you to proclaim the gospel. No matter who you are, no matter what you're like, God can and will use you. Well, what does he use you for? What does he use us for? Well, it's to proclaim the gospel and to show his glory. Because that's what we see in verses 7 to 18. God shows his glory in the gospel. Now, Paul starts talking about Moses, which might sound a little bit confusing, but what he's referring to is Exodus chapter 34, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments. And Moses was, in a sense, in God's presence. And what happened was that God's glory rubbed off on Moses. It's kind of a second-hand glory. And it's so great that as Moses comes down from the mountain, he has to put a veil on his face because this second-hand glory is so overwhelming for anyone who looks at him. And Paul says, if the old covenant, which brings death and came with stone, if it was that glorious that people couldn't even look at the second-hand glory, then how much more glorious would this new covenant be that brings righteousness and life? The one that condemns is glorious, but the one that saves, the one that makes righteous, is even better. The one that fades has glory, but the one that lasts has so much more glory. Have a look at verses 9 to 11. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? See, if the old ministry was good, and it was, it was accompanied by great splendor and glory. If it was good, then how much better is this new ministry? A ministry that's accompanied by far greater splendor, far greater glory. It's a little bit like this. Uh, this is my old Game Boy. I, I've had this for around 20 years or so, and this was great. Many good childhood memories playing on this. Hours playing on it as a kid, and this was good. But so much better is this. Uh, this is my Switch. This is much newer, and as good as my old Game Boy is, this is even better. Better graphics, better games. I can even plug it into the TV. See, the old is good, but the new is so much better. 
And in the same way, the old ministry, the old covenant is good. But this new ministry is so much better. It declares God's glory so much more. It's, in the gospel. it's God who shows his glory in the gospel. Which means that we can have great boldness as we proclaim this gospel. As we point people towards God's glory. Have a look at verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. See, we don't do it how Moses did. We don't do it with a veil to hide God's glory. Instead, we do it frankly and openly. We do it with great conviction and clarity. We have great boldness. See, for Moses, his ministry always seemed to harden hearts. Even while he was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God, the people were down the bottom making idols. See, they were constantly rebelling against God. And even to this day, Paul says, there's a veil over their faces when the old covenant is read. But not so with us. Because in Christ, God has removed that veil. When we preach the gospel, when we proclaim Christ, God's glory is shown. We see his righteousness in judging sin. We see his mercy in forgiving rebellious sinners. We see his holiness in desiring us to live an upright and good life. We see his compassion in sending his son so that we might be saved. See, as we proclaim this gospel, God's glory is shown. But it also has another effect. Did you see the impact it has on us as we proclaim the gospel? It transforms us. It transforms us to be more like Christ. Have a look at verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I mean, how great is that? To be given the honour and privilege to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim God's glory. And that as we do it, God is at work in us, transforming us and shaping us. What a privilege it is. It's the greatest win-win we could ever hope for. Truly, God's glory is shown in the gospel. And so then, who is worthy to be used by God? Who's worthy of declaring the glory of God? Who's worthy of declaring the majesty of the true king? Well, we might be tempted to say, not me. We might be tempted to think, I'm not worthy. But see, the astounding truth of our passage from today is that we are worthy. God does use us, not because of how good we are, but because of how good God is, how gracious and generous God is. And so you can be bold because God is at work through you. And so in our weakness, in our insecurity and in our shyness, in our brokenness and in our hypocrisy, in our fear, we have great boldness because God can use us and God does use us. And so we can get on with the task of proclaiming the glory of God, of proclaiming God's life-giving victory to the world. And this is what a guy called uh, Arthur Stace did. Now, by many of the measures we would have measured him by, he wasn't worthy of being used by God. Uh, he battled with alcoholism and for much of his life until he became a Christian. He had uh, quite severe mental uh, health issues and was almost put into an asylum at one stage. 
Uh, he couldn't read or write. And so we might look at someone like that and say, well, there's no way God could use someone like him. But see, uh, Arthur realized that it's not actually about how competent he is, how capable he is. It's about God and how God uses him. And so even though he couldn't read or write, you know what he did? Every day for almost 35 years, he went around Sydney with a bit of chalk, putting the word eternity. Such a simple thing. And yet God used it to get people thinking, to get them thinking about their eternity and to bring them to God. See, God used Arthur so powerfully, even though he couldn't read, even though he couldn't write, even though he was so uneducated. God still used him. In fact, uh, he had such an impact on Sydney that in 1999, going to the year 2000, in the New Century celebration on New Year's Eve, on the Sydney Harbour Bridge, the word eternity was written, was lighted up. That's what an impact he had on that city. So incredible that God could use someone like that. And if God could use someone like that who can't read, who can't write, then of course he can use someone like us. See, the thing that Arthur realized and the encouragement for us is it's not about us. It's not about how competent we are. It's not about how good we are. It's about the wonderful truth that God can and does use us. What a privilege it is to be used by the triumphant king to proclaim his victory and to reflect his glory. I'm going to pray and thank God for this wonderful good news. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that uh, you do use us. We thank you that we don't need to feel unworthy. We don't need to feel like you could never use someone like us. And so we ask that uh, you might comfort us with this and you might spur us on to great boldness to proclaim your victory. And we ask that you might uh, help us to be so thankful for this good news. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.